Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. My friends, my guest today is Mallory Irvin. Now, she is a huge bundle of joy, of energy. She's just a, an all-around, down-to-earth, lovable human being who I really, really enjoy speaking with. Now, she has a brand new book out right now, which is called Living Fully, Dare to Step into Your Most Vibrant Life. And I think you guys are really going to love Mallory and her stories and also the wisdom and advice that she shares during this conversation. But Mallory Irvin is someone who I think you guys are really going to connect with as well. She is, but you know, she does have a big public profile, but despite all of her public accomplishments that many of you would probably know of, Mallory is no stranger to battling unhealthy attachments to performance and success, which we do touch on during this conversation. But now in her unforgettable debut book, Mallory invites us to see how her surprising journey from achievement and accolades to devastating never before shared lows guided her and led her to a deeply fulfilling life. In her new book, Living Fully, Mallory shares a personal story of overcoming the unhealthy and damaging patterns in her life and shows you guys how to trade this for something completely new and rewarding. What she discovered was there had always been a different life available to her, one that she had not yet seen. Now she encourages us to resist a just fine ex existence and a step into a life never dared imagined before. Through inspiring stories, which you're going to hear many of those during this conversation today, and practical advice, Mallory offers the motivation and the invitation really for all of us to stop returning to a just getting by mentality 
how we can shift perspective so blessings don't become burdens. And to remember that life's curveballs don't have to knock you off your feet. And for those of you that don't know who Mallory is, she's a Kentucky-grown, Nashville living dreamer who has a roundabout way of arriving at today uh, from her time in the Miss America pageant to being three-time contestant in on The Amazing Race, which we do touch on during this conversation. Mallory turned a passion for sharing her love of fashion, beauty, and life into a platform for impact. Today, she runs a global lifestyle brand she founded all the way back in 2016. She hosts the Living Fully podcast, where she encourages and inspires her dedicated following to seek joy and live fully. And I think it's really a powerful message for all of us to resonate with and to take away in our own lives that living fully is possible and Mallory shows us how it is possible uh, during our conversation today. So if you do get something from this one, please share it around to all your friends and your family. I love uh, Mallory. She's just incredible. And I know that you guys are going to love her too. Help support Mallory by getting a copy of her book, Living Fully, Dare to Step Into Your Most Vibrant Life, which is available right now. Link will be in the show notes below. Also, don't forget to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts too. It just goes a huge way in helping to support the show. And I always love hearing people, uh, their feedback on how the show is going and if you guys are really enjoying it or not. So um, our links will be for that or whatever platform you're listening to. You can go and do that. It takes 10 seconds, literally not a lot of time at all. And don't forget that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, is now available for pre-order. Links for that will be as well in the show notes. All right, my friends, it is time to dare to live fully and step into our most vibrant life as we also step into the story box and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than the wonderful, the exuberant Mallory Irvin. I'm so thankful to be here. Um, I have uh, listened to and looked at your amazing list of guests, and I'm just um, so happy to be included. You've got quite the thing going on there, Jay. I'm impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Well, now I'm nervous that you've actually listened to some of them. <laughs> I do. I try to do my research. Um, but yeah, I'm so thankful to uh, be on this and uh, on the other side of the world. But I have been to your part of the world and I love it. Who doesn't love it? You've been to Sydney, Australia. Yes. So when I was on the Amazing Race season, to the second season that I was on to show um, you guys it airs there. So people listening may have watched it, but you race around the world on this game show here in America. It's on CBS teams of two, 12 teams of two. You race around the world in like less than a month at doing these crazy challenges for a million dollars. Like if you win. And so it's like, you know, this crazy race. So um, we flew out of LA to Sydney, Australia. And the first thing that we had to do, if I remember this correctly, we went to this huge, big place on the end of, I don't know what the body of water would be there, that like all of your sailboats and stuff are on. Would that be like Sydney Sydney Harbor? Harbor. Yeah, Sydney Harbor. Yeah. We had to dive with these like sharks and get this decode this clue, learn to sail like across the harbor. Then we had to decode these things on flags and then... We, we went uh, from there to Broken Hill, Australia, and these mines and this cool stuff. And we just did all this crazy stuff. But Australia, um, 
the people there reminded me a lot of the people in Nashville. Um, and from where I'm from in Kentucky, they were very warm and welcoming and just like happy-go-lucky, cool people. So I expect you to be just that. <laughs> well, thank you. Hopefully I live up to that imagery yeah. <laughs> that you mentioned. But I guess we'll just say we uh, you're an honorary Australian. We'll adopt awesome. you to our Aussie family. How about that? Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm so grateful for you, Mallory. And did you go three for three? Did you win all three times? No, if you win, you can't come back. So because oh, I, I lost, I got to keep coming back. So <laughs> the first season we lost like a couple episodes from the end. We didn't know what we were doing, but still we made it pretty far. I went with my dad. He's like an amazing um, like prepper and racer. He now climbs mountains. Like he's just, you know, great guy. We're a good team. Second season, we lost by a minute and 30 seconds in the final episode. Oh, wow. um, so we flew in from Brazil. Uh, we were in Rio de Janeiro and we flew in um, to Miami, Florida, and we ran off the plane. And so much of the amazing race and so much of I feel like anything in life is just like the luck of the draw, the luck of the people that you come in contact with, the luck of the taxi cab you get into or the line that you stand in in the airport or the turn that you take. And as fate would have it, we got into one taxi and this lady yelled, even though we've got a camera crew on our heels and we're like racing and we know like a million dollars is right in front of us. She said, I've been waiting for that taxi. So my dad and I are so nice. No other teams would have probably done this. We got out of the taxi, gave it to her, got into the next one. The guy in the next one didn't have a GPS, couldn't speak English and did not have a smartphone. And you need, you don't have a phone. So you have to rely on the people that you're around. So we got lost for an hour and a half and we made up that time, but we still lost by like a little over a minute. I know. Uh -huh. why, why did you decide to go on the show in the first place? And then secondly, why did you keep coming back? Did you just want to win at least one? I, I definitely am one that likes to, I am, um, I think anybody that gets to, that starts doing the things that I do in life and writing books and stuff like you're naturally a competitive person or a person that likes to do, do big things and to win big things. And, um, so I just, uh, I was Miss Kentucky in 2009 and I was a runner up in Miss America in 2010. So, um, I had just come out of Miss America and I was kind of, um, slip sliding in my life, trying to figure out like, what is this next thing that I'm going to do? And I wanted it to be something that was big. I just had such visible, big success. And I was, you know, part of the issue that I started to have with that was I was starting to cling to that and feel like I, I needed to have something that was forward facing and really big. And here I am only like 24, 25. So, um, I was actually reached out to by a few different casting people. Um, because a lot of times, like 40,000 people apply for these shows, but a lot of times they will seek out the people that they want to apply. Then you have to go through the whole process. So we still had to go through the whole process, but they tried initially to get me to do a show called Survivor. And I was like, I've been starving to death for this pageant for like three months and I'm not going to do the deserted island starve thing. And, I, and then I hung up the phone and I was like, dang it, you know, that would have been really cool. And then they called right back and they said, well, what about the amazing race? And my dad had been sitting on our couch every Sunday night watching that show for like 10 years. He was like a super fan of the show. So I knew what that show was. And I said, do you think I would be able to bring my dad as my partner? And they said, sure, you can apply with him. You know, you choose whoever you want to, to apply with. And so we went on that first season, like a couple months after I had just done Miss America, which, um, 
you know, it's the glitz and the glam and the evening gowns and the polished everything. And on the amazing race, it's very much like rough in it. And you got one backpack to do the whole world. So like we went to the top of the Matterhorn and then you're in Ghana then you're in Rio, then you're in Switzerland. So it's the hottest of the hot, coldest of the cold, every kind of terrain, every kind of endeavor that you could encounter and you're carrying it all in your backpack. So it's, it was just like quite the experience. So went straight into that season. We did really well. And as soon as that season was over, before it even aired, we were cast for the all-star season, which was the next season. So I filmed, I did Miss America, lost Miss America. And then I did two seasons, seasons of the amazing race, all within like eight months of each other. So that was quite a year. And um, even though I didn't win, I really felt like I was winning because I was getting to just do these things over and over. Had I won Miss America, I couldn't have done the amazing race at all. So I'm honestly very thankful that I didn't. And the same thing with losing each of those seasons, like the real gift is getting to experience what you get to experience on that show in particular. So you know, while a lot of money would be the prize to most people looking back in that time of my life, I think that's the, actually the worst thing that could have happened to me was handing me all that money when I was really confused and um, not quite sure what was next for me. I think it can stall a lot of people. It can light a fire under a lot of problems that are starting to brew. It, it wouldn't have been the best thing for me. Um, and so it really worked out and I got to do these cool things over and over and over again. And the experience with my dad too was um, an irreplaceable thing. I'm one of four kids and um, time one-on-one time like that, when you've got that many siblings is very rare with a parent. And my dad worked really hard growing up like a lot of our dads do. So it was really, it was really awesome losing. I didn't mind losing in that capacity because I kept winning, (laughs) Um, getting to go back and do another season. You mentioned that you are very competitive naturally. And you also mentioned that you did lose quite a few, you lost Miss America, you lost Amazing Race, but then you also mentioned that you kept winning in other ways. But I wanted to ask you, what have you learned the most about losing? That definitely like there can be a better opportunity on the other side of it. And a lot of those types of things you have to learn from your own experience. I mean, you read things on fortune cookies and Instagram squares and you hear motivational people say it all the time, read it in their books. But it's until you like experience these things in your own life that you really believe these things. And anytime people would say, every time a door closes, another one opens and I'm like, yeah, but I really wanted this one to stay open. Like I wanted why, you know, I don't want to go through two doors. I want to go through this door, you know, and um, it's really hard till you experience it yourself. And, you know, when I, the night I lost Miss America, first off, you win by being a runner up in a way. A lot of people would see that as winning. But, you know, I'm someone that wanted to be first place. Second place was losing to me until that year of my life, because I'd never really lost anything before. And the the big things that I started losing were proving to me that a better door actually did open. Doing the Amazing Race was way better than like reigning for a year. Doing the Amazing Race three times was way better than reigning a year as Miss America. I was still Miss Kentucky and I was a runner up in Miss America. So it was like I was getting the best of both worlds. So I would say that year, 2010, really transformed. I had this ultimate fear of losing where 
I just couldn't see anything past number one. And that year really changed it for me because everything that I lost, um, truly something better came from. And it proved that to me. So now when I'm facing any sort of loss, I remember that in my own life and I'm not as fearful of it as I used to be. So that's what I would say. Do you think that's also true for everyone else that would be going through loss that another door will open up that's better than the other one? I do think another door will always open. I don't know that some people have the eyes to see yet that it's a better door because some losses, okay, I understand. Maybe people can't relate to losing Miss America or a game show on national television. Those are very extreme examples. And those are all amazing experiences, win or lose. However, I've had losses in my life that were not um, losses that came with a great experience. Like um, while I was writing my book, so I had um, two kids, like right after we got married in 2017, I had a baby the next year and a baby the next year. Um, And then after that, when we decided, okay, we're ready for a third one, I ended up losing four pregnancies in the, in one year. It was while I was writing my book. So when I think about a loss like that, and I think about people that are listening to this podcast and saying, like I'm in the middle of my loss and like this loss just doesn't feel like a win-win either way. And I don't want to open the second door. The only door I want is a child. I understand that because I've been there and um, I'm now on the other side of it. But for about a, for over a year, I was in the middle of that. Um, And not only did I have one loss where the door didn't open up again, I had four in a row. And um, I think in those instances, you have to shift your perspective to maybe there is something that I'm not seeing in my future. Maybe something that I really think that I want is not something that I, that I'm going to be handed or that I need, or maybe I am in my case, I had a health diagnosis that it ended up leading to. And maybe this is guiding me in a direction to, help something that I didn't even know, like I needed help or uncover something or open my eyes to something. And, um, so I don't think you can necessarily look at, look at it as the same way, like door number one closes and another one opens, but you can certainly look at it as a loss will guide you to the places that I, I truly feel if you're willing and open-minded that we need to go in our lives, it does not discount the pain of the loss but you will live in that pain if you don't open your mind to moving past it in whatever way that looks like. Um, so, yeah. I don't think we can ever change the fact that a loss hurts, mm-hmm. but I think you're right about shifting our perspective in saying that this is ultimately going to be for my benefit, even mm-hmm. though I may not see it right now. And I always say that, God gives us everything that we need. It might not be exactly the, what we want, but it's exactly what we need. And exactly. that can be as frustrating as heck <laughs> to yeah. comprehend. Uh-huh. You went through four pregnancy losses. Uh, and I wanted to ask you what kept you going because you're writing your book at the time as well, going through this, this very difficult loss. I can only imagine 
but what kept you going? What kept you wanting to drive for another kid? What kept you writing your book? What kept you sane? Were you sane? Um, well, yes, I was sane. Um, but once I got to like three and four, I was starting to get a little squirrely. Like, am I going to have to shift the future vision that I have for my family? Is this going to happen for me? But I also, I believed, and I always believe that, um, if you have a strong desire for something, there is a way to it. I don't think I'm, I'm also a believer. And I think that God gives us the things that we can, you know, he gives us the things that we need, but I also believe that like the desires, the true desires for good things in our life, I, I believe comes from and is blessed by him as well. And so I felt like, I don't think you've put this on my heart this strongly. Um, if I wasn't supposed to continue moving forward and trying to figure this out. So that kept me sane somewhat. Um, and the other things that kept me sane is I, you know, and I wrote a lot about this in my book, but I'm very obsessed and concerned with like the legacy that I leave every day. Like as a parent in my life right now at 36, I am concerned always with like, how am I showing up as a parent? and a spouse and in my work on a podcast, you know, I don't want to just think of like my legacy at the end of my life. I really want to act it out in the everyday. And so I thought, am I really going to be not as present of a parent and be moping around and upset? And I understand people grieve. I grieved, but I wanted to still be the parent that I wanted to be and the spouse that I wanted to be and show up in my business. Um, I didn't want to waste that year away moping around and feeling negative about it and saying, why me? And there were moments of that, but I wholeheartedly wanted not to be like that. And I had two healthy kids at home. I think that helped too, because if people are dealing with a loss of something that they don't have anything of, if they, whether it's children or whether it's something that you just can't get, I understand that that would be harder. Um, but I had to focus, I had to focus on them and um, I had to shift my perspective constantly to like, I can't, why is this not working? And what's wrong with me to, I'm figuring out how to make this work. My body's done this before. Um, and it was a, it was a hard year, but it was a good year of growth because I was really committed to that. And ultimately it did lead me to somewhere that I wouldn't have gone. So there's this odd underlying blood clotting disorder that one of the only symptoms is pregnancy loss. And they tested me for that after I had my third loss and they found out that I had it. It's an autoimmune disorder that I never would have known that I had, which is very valuable to know if you're ever going to have surgery or anything in the future or for a host of different reasons. So it guided me to that. And then they also diagnosed me as with prediabetes, you know, knowing that I had issues with these things that um, it uncovered has helped me in my health journey and my life in general. Um, so good did come out of that. It was a hard year, but um, those are the things that kind of kept me pushing through. How has that, I guess, helped you understand what success really is in life? Well, I mean, you always hear the greatest success stories are always filled to the brim with adversity. 
Um, And mine certainly has been too. My story is interesting in that, like I've had two kind of waves of what I'm doing now. When I was in Kentucky, I did a lot of speaking, Mm -hmm. traveling and like sharing a message that was very similar to what I'm sharing now in some ways. It was very much about like living fully, living your life to the fullest and going after your goals and your dreams. And since then, though, I have experienced major adversity that I hadn't when I was doing this this circuit before. And I truly believe and have shown myself that adversity is what reveals our depth and our character. And it's what steeps you in the waters that a lot of people are in. It's what I mean, you can't write a story unless you've truly been in the trenches. And so, you know, I've shifted. I ended up developing a prescription pill addiction and going to a treatment program about five years after all of this success in my life. And what that taught me and what any adversity teaches me and does everyone's success story. I can honestly, I can speak for everyone right now because I know it's all the same is it just gives your whole life a new, it gives your, it gives your life new meaning. It gives your life new um, perspective. I know I've already mentioned perspective, but it does give you new perspective, but it also like, it makes you not so fearful to take risks in that, you know, you've been through something really hard. So I think a lot of people are fearful, like you and I were talking off camera that you haven't flown before. Okay. You're fearful, probably the most that you will ever be in this whole flying experience, because it's before you've ever done it. You know, you're, you haven't ever, because once you have experienced something good or bad, it's like been there, done that. Okay. I can, I lived, I lived. I'm on the other side. I survived. (laughs) I survived it. And so it makes you more apt to open door number two. It makes you more apt to not choose easy, comfortable, familiar patterns. And there is no successful person that is choosing easy, comfortable, familiar patterns. Um, They are all taking risks. So, um, and also like just being in the world of recovery and the, it's such a mental thing um, when you feel that you've shifted your life into this numbing out behavior and you, you are just totally reliant on something, you know, and maybe people listen to this and there it's not a substance or it's not alcohol or something like that, but we majorly numb out with like our phones now and social media and things that everyone has in their hands all the time. So think of anything that you use to escape things. Um, and there's a plethora of those things, but when you are, um, when you fall victim to those things and you really can't get yourself out and the process of uncovering what got you there in the first place, the process of pulling yourself out of that and then living, not going for that numbing behavior anymore, you live your life different. And it taught me so much. It was the great, truly the greatest thing that happened to me in my life. And um, not to say that the person before or any person that hasn't experienced adversity that's truly trying to share a good message is meaning anything badly. They just don't, I didn't understand um, fully. So I think me and a lot of other successful people, way more successful people than me, 
I believe um, that adversity just kicks it into high gear. The way that you live your life and the way that you can help other people live their lives as well. I think adversity is it's always going to be there. And I think having a renewed perspective from time to time is ultimately a great thing for our yes. improvement because I don't believe we were created to be stuck, to stay in the adversity constantly. No. And because that just brings out a myriad of issues, depression, anxiety. And we weren't, we weren't made for that. We were made for, as I like to say, we were made to soar in, in, in the skies. Like that's life. That is the abundance of life. And I guess it's our choice whether or not we want to stay in that period of challenge and, and despair and ultimately self-destruction because of challenges that have come across our life or we can choose to rise above it and move forward. And it sounds like to me that you've been through quite a bit in your young life as (laughs) I have too, and you've learned quite a bit, which I appreciate enormously. Uh, I love saying as well that we've got to uh, let the challenges serve us instead of we serving the challenge because the moment we serve the challenge we're just giving off so much of our energy we're going to get even more stuck we're going to get exhausted and as a result we just give up so yes. we just let the challenge take over and take control rather than allowing the challenge to serve us as like fuel beneath our wings so to speak to give us that that boost and that lift to to move forward and keep on soaring so that's the way i like looking at it Yes. And it's just a perspective shift. You know, you're talking about the same challenge a lot of times that this person's facing and that this person's facing. And my um, my grandparents used to run this little country store in Kentucky growing up. And we were in a coal mining and farming community. And, you know, people would they would open that country store like 4 a.m. She would serve breakfast and they would always come in. And us as kids, we would work at the store and stuff like that with my grandparents in the summers and after school. And they used to walk in and, you know, they just feel they a lot of them would have these frowns on their face and they would just kind of be like, this is, you know, my life. And they're dragging their feet and it's early in the morning. And they're and my grandma used to always say, you can say two, you can look at life two ways. You can say, good morning, Lord, or you can say, good Lord, it's morning. And she would always ask them, she would say, which one are you going to say? And they would say, well, I guess it's good Lord. Good morning, Lord. You know, and she'd always try and shift their perspective. But it's the same thing thing with with challenges you know i if you if you sit and you dwell in the things the bad and the hard that have happened to you in life and they will happen to everyone in life this is it like this is the one life that you get and you have chosen to spend it um you know moping around about this why me and bad things shouldn't happen i hate the bad things happen to people but they do and um I mean, if you can shift your perspective too, in the way that we were just talking about successful people. And if you think about anyone that you've ever admired, anybody's book that you've ever read, any Oprah Winfrey or any president or any celebrity, they have all experienced massive adversity and things oftentimes much worse than we've ever experienced. So I always think of when I'm on the cusp of adversity, I always try and I think like, all the people that I've ever admired in my whole entire life. It's not just like 
they're holding their breath. And like, I made it through that. It's like, they were made through that. Like they were made who they were through the things that they endured and experienced. So why in the world am I so fearful of adversity? I should be more fearful of missing out on a life that doesn't include adversity. And a lot of times that is tough to think when you're on the cusp of it, because your heart's racing and your body's in the state of like everything you want to do is rejected. But if you can just shift your perspective, I think and remind yourself of all of the good that adversity has brought into people that you admire's life. I think it can really help you shift that perspective. I think it certainly can. And having said all this, Mallory, about all the things that you've been through in your life, what do you love the most about yourself and your story now? Um, I like about my story, I'll start with, that I was finally um, brave enough and compelled enough to share uh, my story. It took me eight years to share the story. And I had a very public platform for eight years. It's been I've been in recovery for eight years now. And since then, I have been uh, a public person. I have a YouTube channel and a podcast and a book and um, on Instagram, we've got millions of followers all over, you know, every platform, you know, spanned out if you add them all together. And those people saw me living a life that they wanted to emulate. And those people saw me living a life that they longed for for themselves. And I started getting messages from people like that saying, you know, I wish that I could wake up and feel the way it seems you feel, or I wish I felt some of the joy or had the relationships or whatever it was. And I always would have to send a message back and be like, oh, you know, I went through this really hard time in my life and I chose the way that I live now. People were always so surprised. Like what? They think you're just born this way, you know? And after years and years of feeling like I had my whole life in front of the curtain, people could see everything. But they didn't know this one piece of my story. They didn't know this recovery piece. And this is a big piece because people didn't look at people like me that had done the things that I'd done and think, oh, she's going to end up in a treatment center. Um, And so what I'm proud about of my story now is that it's truly all out on the table. And then when people look at my life now and they want to have a life that looks like that, they know that if they're in the middle of a struggle or a trial or if their life has looked dark at any point in time, they still have access to this kind of life. I don't ever want people to count out the way that it seems we live today, um, that they weren't handed that life. Like they, they now know the whole story. So I'm proud about that. Um, I'm also, this is a, a, a string that's run through my whole life. I'm very proud of the family that I've come from and that I'm creating. So I love family and I have this very intentional, cool, amazing family. I grew up on this farm with 24 first, 23 first cousins. Um, I'm the oldest. My oh. grandparents lived in the center, still live in the center. And they talked to us when we were like five and six and seven years years old and like all until we grew up about like legacy. You know, what is legacy that you're leaving? And like, how can we make a difference in the world and all this stuff? And, you know, we weren't some family in some big city with all this, you know, access to things at our fingertips. We were the small country family, but like very intentional in the way that we showed up in the world. And I'm trying to do that with my own family, living a lot different of a life here in Nashville, Tennessee, 
but I'm proud um, that that is a priority of mine and that I'm forging that path because uh, that was something that was really special about the way that I grew up. So I'd say that's what I'm most proud about of my story and love most about my story. And then about myself. Um, you know, I love that I have been able to reinvent and recreate myself over and over and had amazing success in each recreation. <laughs> um, growing up, I came back and forth to Nashville uh, because I wanted to sing country music. I had some great, amazing opportunities. I made three records before I was like 13 years old. I was like opening for major bands here in uh, America and getting to do these really cool things. And even at a young age, even though I kind of had my sights set on something like that, Whenever someone brought to my attention the Miss America pageant and doing something totally out of left field, I wasn't afraid to kind of reinvent myself, even though I'd put all of this, all of this effort and my identity really was singing country music. I think a lot of people, especially early in life, they think I put so much work into this. I cannot chart a new path. I have always charted new paths. And I think that's what brought me here now. So then I do Miss America. Then I have an opportunity to do reality television and a competition show that's like about physical and mental strength. I mean, who would have thought? But I wasn't afraid. Okay, let's chart this new path. And I became a competitor. Um, and all of the shifts that I've made in my life, you know, now most recently I've gone from beauty and fashion YouTuber shifted to like online personality, shifted to podcast host. Now I'm a self-help author. You know, I'm not afraid to leave behind what I've done before and be really proud of that, but not feel like I've hitched my wagon to it. And that is my story forever. Um, and I hope that, you know, the young people that are listening to this, that may feel like, I can't reinvent myself. It's too hard. I cannot rewrite my story. I know like you're into the stories of people. I can't, um, you know, I've put too much time and effort or school or hours or energy. My whole family sees me as a blank, whatever you are. It is never too late to chart a new path. And in fact, this way of living is so much more fulfilling and fun. I feel like I get to experience like so many different aspects of life and do so many amazing things because I don't close myself off to them. So no one's ever asked me that question, what I love most about myself. So that's the first time I've ever answered that. So, but I do, I, I do like that. I'm not afraid to do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be the first one to ever ask you that. And I love yeah. that response too. I mean, it was great. It, it kind of made me want to go down so many different rabbit holes with those responses. You can you do what you want. <laughs> but I love how you mentioned the the fact that you wrote a book. You have this incredibly public platform with millions of people that are watching you. And it kind of feels like in some respect that yes, they are watching you. Yes, they are seeing the things that you're doing. And but as a public person, you can also be very private. And it kind of feels like for a, a, an, an individual that isn't famous really on social media, it's kind of like, oh, 
you know what, they're, they're famous. So they wouldn't go through any of the things that mm-hmm. I'm going through. I'm like the lowly of the low. So they, they have this mindset that is well above mine. But no, 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 you got to understand that we're all human beings here. We all go through stuff. All human beings. And like, I'll tell you on the other side of like some notoriety and some success, not as much as some of the people that you've had on this podcast, but I have compared to the normal person had a lot of public success. And anywhere that I go in Nashville, like people, people know who I am. People are always recognizing my family. And I can truly tell people it's a funny thing being known. Um, I still feel like anytime someone comes up to me and says, I'm so sorry, this must be so weird. I always say, I'm, we're just normal people. There are just more people watching our lives. And I don't know if every person in the public, I feels like that, but I do. I, I only feel like you or I are the same. The person that's shopping for the cantaloupes at the grocery store and I are the same. Um, and I think that's the beauty of the world that, that influencers are making up right now. They're really just normal people that are living their lives on a public stage and inspiring people with their recipes and their clothes and all that stuff. And where I feel like the magic is lost in this space of influencers is when they shift to thinking that like they're not. And that's one thing that um, I lo- that's the greatest compliment when people are like, you guys are just like you are on the internet. And I always like my first thought is always like, thank goodness. And then my second thought's always like, why in the world are people faking it? Like, this is like, we're not acting like we're showing them our real life. They think we're living our real life like we actually are. But to think that people are, um, <laughs> you know, pulling the curtain over the, the reality of a situation and faking things, but presenting it as real and reality. That's the part of this world that I don't like. But the part that I do like is that. It's just shining a light on people living their everyday lives. It makes you feel not alone because celebrities do feel unattainable, but people like me don't, I don't think. Um, so that was a roundabout way, you know, to say that, but, but I agree with you. It's we're just, I'm just like everyone. We're just human beings, just human beings. Um, just like everyone else, which is why I feel like I'm in like the perfect career for me right now. Um, and I'm glad that I didn't take the path of singing country music because I think it puts you on a different pedestal and you can't really open the curtain Mm. and make people feel like you and I are the same. And let me help you. If you're going through something like I've gone through, if I see some mega superstar saying that I might count them out too. And, And I've been through things like that. So I understand the, um, the allure and the, um, untouchable nature of someone experiencing something like that. But I'm always thankful that people tell me that it feels like um, we are their friends and that we are people that would be friends with them in real life and that we're the same. Cause I do feel like we are. (laughs) I think it's that authenticity aspect of things that a lot of people are somewhat missing that are, have the higher profile because I think you're right. The whole notion of fake it till you make it. And once they've made it, yeah. they continue to still fake it. They're kind of in that loop, which is why I hate that saying. If I'm allowed to hate anything in life, it's that one saying because it's drawing that is people a bad away. It's shocking. It is absolutely terrible because it draws people away from actually living a fulfilling, authentic life. 
Yes. They're living a fake life that they have created for themselves or they're, they're the people that are following them have encouraged them to continue to fake it because that's yes. what's working. And so they're getting away just, with it and making yep. money from it. And so you're right. It perpetuates it and it continues them into this cycle, which in turn is their life. Yep. So that is that is a very good point. They, that's a, it's very well said. It's dangerous. I hate that too. It's toxic. And it, it just, I, every, I, I used to hear it all the time when I was in real estate and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to conform to what my boss is telling me, what these other people are telling me to do, or because it gives me this extra bit of a high and, like I'm, I'm this person that I cannot recognize in the morning. And that just made me feel absolutely miserable. So I'm like, forget it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to conform. And I'm glad that I didn't because then I became this authentic real estate agent that would be able to connect with a lot of the buyers, understand all the buyers. I didn't treat them like robots. And that got me more, I guess you could call it the world's version of success than anything else because they appreciated that. And I loved it too. Yes. Because <laughs> it was me. Yes. And, yes, it was you. And then like you, when you obtain that success, were still you. Um, because if you fake it till you make it, then once you actually do make it, it's like, well, now I need to be something bigger because now I've just arrived to the point that I was faking like before. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it is, it's, it's a cycle. And, um, you know, it's, it's the good and the bad thing of social media because it's a lot easier to fake things uh, when you're only showing a picture or any piece of content that you have curated. So I do believe that it's like a hotbed right now for this kind of fake until you make it stuff. And the fact that people can actually make an entire career and living faking it, people are like, well, why would I want to authentically do this and take the extra time? And like when I can just do it in an eighth of the time, but you're right. Cause once you get there, it's like, Oh shoot, I got to keep doing this. And I wouldn't want to live like that. Um, so I agree with your disdain for that saying as well. <laughs> I personally want to be able to sleep well at night, like at peace, knowing that who I showed up as today is exactly who I am. Like yeah. who I show up as with you, Mallory is how I show up during the day with just people in general with my actual job. Like, yes, I'm having these conversations with incredible people that have a vast array of, I guess what the world calls success. And that is, that is great. But at the end of the day, when I stop having conversations like this and I, I, I go and about my day, I'm still like, who am I? I'm like, I've Mm -hmm. I've got to figure that out. Like I can't just be this, unauthentic version. I can if I want to, but then once again, that's not going to be fulfilling and I'm going to be miserable as a result. So anyway, that's Mm -hmm. my tie in finishing off of that. I like it. I like it. Don't fake it till you make it. That is Uh, our advice. All that to say, that is our advice. Don't do it. (laughs) It's bad and it won't contribute to living a a, a fulfilled life. But um, Mallory, I've got a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind. I, I do have to be respectful of your time. But uh, when would you say in the process of writing your book or even in, in your life, would you say was the most vulnerable for you? Um, 
in the process of, there were several different times in my life that have been times of vulnerability, but the greatest vulnerability for me was this part of my story that I hadn't shared. So it actually did tie into writing the book. And the greatest, um, the greatest moment of vulnerability is, um, so at, when you sell your book and you've got all these publishers excited and they pay you your advance and you've got people bidding on your book, you know, that's the exciting part. Even writing it initially until we got to the editing part, the editing part was terrible for me. I just, I felt like I was in school and it was really bad. You know, all that stuff, it feels like, you know, you're just writing a book, you know, but I will tell you the greatest like fear and like the moment where I was like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And like, I cannot stop the freight train was the night before it went on pre-sale. So when it goes on pre-sale and it goes to Amazon Target and everywhere, my book is available everywhere. So um, a description will go with that book. And some of the descriptions alluded to this piece of my story. And I knew a lot of people didn't know this part of my story. And once you put a book out there and the cover's out there and people buy it, you can't stop it from going into their hands. So it felt like, like, this was me like pulling the lever. Here it goes. So that was the biggest piece of vulnerability. Uh, I was very nervous and very happy when it was received well. And then the night before um, the book came out, like on release day. So it had a really big, like when it came out, we announced the cover and it went on pre-sale everywhere. Like we sold thousands of books. It was amazing. Um, but then knowing, you know, it was like February 6th or 7th, it came out on the 8th knowing it was about to be like, people can walk into Target and like flip into the middle of it and be like, huh, okay, she's been through that. And then close the book and put it back. They, it's just like they can, anybody, everybody's going to know. It will always be a part of my story, this piece. And I was talking to one of my friends who did the um, forward for my book. Her name's Jamie Kern Lima. And she is like um, the first like billion dollar, like head of L'Oreal CEO, like just a true success story, but also like a true self-made woman mm. who truly is in the world to just help other people, especially like other women and people in her industry and changing the face of the beauty industry. A lot of people say they want to do that, but she's really wants to do that and does it. And she said, and I said, I'm really nervous. Like, did you feel like this before your book came out? You know, how did you feel? And she said, you know, someone told me something that really meant a lot to me. They said, if you want to impress people, share your success story. And if you want to impact people, share with them your failures. And I thought about it and I was like, I don't want to impress people. I want to impact people. It's the only reason I wrote the book. And you can't impact people just telling them all the good things and showing them like the other side. Um, and that phrase, that one thing that she said to me really shifted things for me out of a place of vulnerability to a place of I'm proud that I was brave enough to share this story and that um, this story I know will impact some of the people that read it. And we've sold tens of thousands of books. So I know that book has been in tens of thousands of hands. And of those people, I get messages and I see them in the book signing lines. And um, that is when you are rewarded, I feel like, for your vulnerability. There are a lot of times in life where you don't get a reward for your vulnerability. Like on the outside, you just, you feel better on the inside. It's out. And anytime you, you make it through a moment of fear of vulnerability, it's great for you. It builds your strength and 
you're resilient, but to be praised for something that was so hard for you to share and put out there by people that you don't even know is, it is like a golden validation. It is validation, not for, you know, you're, you've won this thing or like, oh, you look great in that dress or, um, you, you performed this thing really well. It's validation that the thing that you were most vulnerable about and most fearful of, and one of the hardest things you've ever come through has helped someone else. And that's a special thing. So the vulnerability was certainly met with, um, met with really a really good reception, which, um, was wonderful. I can relate to when it goes on pre pre-order or pre-sale that mm. it was sort of a shock for me. Cause I didn't, I didn't expect it. My publisher just did it super early on. And that description went up and you're right. Not a lot of people knew the kind of things that I had been through the depression, the, the abuse, the traumas, all those things. And it was like a little bit of a shock for me, but then I guess it was, might've been a shock for other people uh, to, to read it. And I'm kind of like, well, I'm stuck. I can't pull back now. So may as well (laughs) keep going forward (laughs) and see where this goes. But yeah, I guess my, my hope is that it impacts as many people as it possibly can. And I guess the dream is the thousands, but also the millions of people. Maybe I'm overextending myself as I'm sure that your book is no doubt doing for a lot of people. So I think it's a it's a brilliant message living fully because uh, that's what a lot of people want to do. They're, they're looking for that and they're looking for all the the wisdom and the advice that comes with it. Like how do I do it in my own life? So I'm grateful for your story, Mallory, and I hope that this conversation helps so many more people right now to get a copy of the book that ha- may or not already have it. Um, but two quick final questions for you, Mallory, before... Okay. We finish this conversation. This is a question that I've started asking recently. It was a, a guest of mine. He actually said it to me after we finished our conversation. So I can't take credit for it. Sadly, I just always have to say that to give him credit. <laughs> um, but it is, what is the current plot of your story that you are currently in the middle of? Anytime you have, a, especially a young family and a business that's rapidly growing, Um, it's always a challenge of where can my attention go? You can't give your attention to two things. Mm. So the thing that I'm trying to constantly get right. And, you know, here I am, I'm almost in my third trimester of a third pregnancy. I signed my book deal the week I found out I was pregnant with my first child. And like, here I am pregnant with a third, like as it finally came out and now I'm, they're shopping other deals to me and I'm plotting the next part of my story. But the true, like the plot, the plot right now is figuring out what balance looks like for me, because the thing that I don't want to do wrong is my family. I've had worldly success and I know that I will continue to have that type of success. And when the sky's the limit in the things that I do with all of these different businesses that I have, um, it's really hard to turn turn down the volume. It's really hard to stop working. It's really hard to not want more and more and more. And the plot of my story right now, because living fully 
for me, 10 years ago, if you would ask me what living fully would be, I would be like, oh, it's doing Miss America. It's doing these shows. And it's like just filling your life with all these big dreams, big ghosts, big hopes. And now living fully for me is so opposite of that. Living fully for me is much less about like fulfilled to the brand. It is about true fulfillment and true fulfillment for me will is not achieved without feeling like I have a balanced family life as well. I think that that's something that so many people overlook in this rat race that we live in um, of you work to make money, to provide for your family and you and to live your life and you just work and work and work. And that becomes your life more sometimes than your family. And so the plot of my story right now is figuring out um, the balance between those two things while showing my children success, but showing them a parent that chose them first and turned down a lot of things for them because they're my number one priority. And that's hard when you're like a natural person that likes to do a lot of things. Um, so yeah, that's the plot of my story right now. Um, if I had to choose one. <laughs> Mallory, you sound like you are unstoppable. You just keep on oh, going. And I love thank it. <laughs> I cannot it's wait for what's next. Sometimes. It's, it's very exciting. Well, thank you. Thank well, you. This, is, this is my all-time favorite question. And if you have listened to the end of my conversations, you already have, probably have had time to prepare for this question. But it's a hypothetical one. Uh, it's, yeah, if you've... <laughs> if you're prepared for it, then okay, you know it's coming. But it's hard to go on. But I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? You're talking about legacy just a moment ago. Yeah. So I think about this a lot, actually. Um, and when we're watching that film back, I want people around me in my life, in particular, my family, to have seen me and described me as a person that truly embodied everything that I was sharing with other people. I think that in the business that I'm in, there's a lot of performative, um, not preaching is the wrong word, but sharing of the way to live your life. And I hope that I am so congruent that I, that I balance my family life perfectly, that I show up for people that I give, that I shine a light in whatever I do, that I don't let earthly success and all these worldly things um, take me away from the things that really matter. I hope that uh, at the end of my life, um, we see a lot of um, special celebrations and moments that were so full, not of stress and like the fuss that comes along with big moments in life, but full of so much emotion and joy, just pure, utter joy. And I want at the end of my life for people to have seen me not only living fully, but to feel like I lived a really vibrant life, that I was a vibrant person, that I was full of life. And no matter how much I 
had going on that I always was a bright spot to people. I love the word vibrant. I put it on the cover of my book, Dare to Step into Your Most Vibrant Life. And I feel that that's where I'm at right now. And it's where I intend to stay. You know, what is 36 minus 100? I mean, that's like 64 more years. Um, And I think that 64 more years, is that right? Yeah. I think that um, life can get you down. Age can get you down. Um, Tough hands and curveballs and just the things that life hands us. And I hope to be a person that could live fully through those things that could stay vibrant and alive. And um, I hope that I have built quite the business. Of course, that's what we're talking about a lot here, but I hope I've really also built quite the family, um, at the end of my hundred years. So, yeah, (laughs) that is a beautiful send off message. Thank Thank you so much, Mallory, for your time today, your story. I'll make sure everyone knows where to find you. You're not hard to find at all. No. Uh, Type in your (laughs) name on Google. She'll show up, believe you me. Um, But I'll link everything in the show notes below just to make it easier for people and your new book too, Living Fully. I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy as well. Thank you so much, Mallory, for your time, your wisdom, your advice and your stories and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. And yeah, tell me what you think about the book and take that first flight. I'm excited to hear about that. (laughs) I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.